0: Well, good morning. I also want to greet you. It's good to see you, uh, for those who are here in the room, also for those who are joining online. Last week, a number of you, if you were here, had an opportunity to be asked a couple of questions, and the questions relate to what we're going to talk about today in terms of community. And those questions were just simply, what are some of the greatest communities that you were a part of, and what made them significant, and also, what is it that you would do to contribute to making a great community? And so let's just have a quick listen to some of the responses that we got from last week. I work with a really great team at work and what makes it so great is the respect for everyone else, the support I receive from everyone else, and just the teamwork that everyone is willing to give. Probably is my AA community. Everybody's there for just that one singular purpose. The best community I've been a part of thus far is my family Um, because we support each other and we care about each other, and um, it's just a really safe environment at home. I think the best community I've been a part of has been camp community because they're so intentional and you're all crammed in one space and you have to figure out how to live together and how to not cut each other's heads off. So you really have to have extra grace and compassion and mercy for one another. I work at Horizon College and Seminary and I love our community there. It's a place where I am cared for, where I am loved, where I am encouraged and supported. My best community that I've been a part of is the community that I live in, in my condo complex because they support each other through prayer and just general support every day of the week. My family. One of the best communities I've been a part of is with our small group and uh, doing suppers for kids club at the bridge. Probably one of the best communities that I've been a part of has been the Waunan people in Panama. Being involved in athletics, uh, from coaching to playing. Uh, The community that sticks out is being a part of a camp community, specifically the Redberry staff. What's unique about it is we all come from different backgrounds. If I were to make a community, I think some of the key components to it would be understanding and patience with one another. I think diversity is really important so we don't stick ourselves in an echo chamber. When you've got like a lot of time together in the same space and you're all kind of heading towards a final goal. In the church it's awesome because you've got Christ as your common goal. Having the singular goal. I don't know what the next step is but beyond that I mean other than you know coming together as a community to talk about it. You know and get everybody's ideas, thoughts and goals towards that one goal. I believe that what makes community is when people realize that they need each other. Everybody has their role. Uh, everybody has their strengths. The, the strength is in, the, in diversity. We need Jesus. Without Jesus, we're just a bunch of people in a room. Well, this video gives you a bit of a window into some uh, great responses, diverse responses of some of you. Uh, you could add your own about what is it that have been significant communities for you in your life, but also this question and that second question of, you know, what, what would you do to create an amazing community? And that's really the focus of the message that I want to focus on today, and we're going to look at a text in Second Corinthians chapter 7, and I encourage you to be ready to look there. We'll come to that in just a minute. But, but the question is just simply, what is our contribution to community? And particularly to a a church community that is centered around Jesus Christ, is what is it that is, uh, you know, what is it that we contribute in that faith community kind of setting? We want to begin the fall, as Maureen had said, by returning to some of the basics of discipleship. And a number of years ago, we identified four kind of unique aspects of discipleship that have been helpful for us to think about how do we live out discipleship, how do we understand it. And we want to do it in the way of invitations as we begin this fall. So today is the invitation to community. And so we live out discipleship in community of others. We know that. It gives us an opportunity to serve others with our gifts. It also gives us the opportunity to receive the gifts of other people in the same way. Especially with the gifts that we don't have and we need from others. Uh, When I'm in seasons where I can't pray, I need people around me who can pray on my behalf. When I'm hurting, I need others to love and support me and bring the healing presence of Jesus. When I'm celebrating, I don't want to necessarily do that alone. We want to party together and celebrate things in our lives together. And I know that for me in all seasons and circumstances, I need others to help me remain faithful and to remain hopeful in Jesus. And so the invitation to community is not just to join and experience a certain or particular type of community, but it's also to realize that as soon as we enter in a community, we also change it. We have an impact on that community. And maybe we don't think about that as often as we should, but we could ask the question, though, well, is the community better because we're there? We aren't just passive observers, are we? In science, there's something called the observer effect, and when experimentations are done and you have an observer come into the situation, just the very fact that somebody is observing actually changes some of the elements of what is being observed in the experiment. And so there's this effect that happens as soon as you have an observer present. It just changes the group in some way. I mean, just think of a school situation where you add a principal into a classroom observing a teacher with a classroom filled with students. I mean, that... Just the presence of that person changes some things, doesn't it? And so in a community, we're much more than observers, aren't we? Or at least we should be. In fact, if all we are is an observer, we really haven't entered into being part of the community. And so we actively participate. We actively are engaged in creating the very communities that we're a part of in all kinds of different ways, probably more than we realize And so we need to understand what our effect is. We need to understand how is it that we're contributing to this particular community. Are we helping to make it a vibrant, effective community of faith, serving Jesus together? Because we know that we all leave a wake behind us, don't we? And we all interact and actually feel and experience the wake of other people who kind of come into and through our lives as well. And so one of the questions that you might ask is, what's it like to be on the other side of me? Or do you know what it's like to be on the other side of you? So what kind of community do you and I contribute to? And so that brings us to this text in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And I encourage you to turn there as we look at Paul describe this incredible, unique, messy community ...and how it was being transformed. And Paul is describing this community and he's also describing in a very raw way... ...the things that are going on around him and the things that are also happening within him. And he talks about the difference that one spirit-filled person can make in that community. So let's pick it up, 2 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 5. So Paul says, When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction, with battles on the outside and fear on the inside but God who encourages those who are discouraged encouraged us by the arrival of Titus his presence was a joy but so was the news that he brought of the encouragement he received from you now what i love about this short passage is just how honest Paul is, and we'll look at a little bit more around this passage in just a minute, but he's being so honest about the kind of community that they're experiencing. But even here, he says, there was no rest, there was conflict from every direction, there was battles on the outside, there was fear on the inside. You'd think he was writing to the people of Saskatoon during COVID. But then listen to how God encourages Paul and this community by the impact of one spirit-filled man, as I said, man of encouragement named Titus. Who, by the way, was encouraged by others who were both challenged and encouraged by Paul. And now it's all come back full circle again to encourage Paul through Titus again. Still with me? Okay, you'll see how that works in just a minute. But let's start with the context. So Paul is writing this letter to the church in a city called Corinth. Corinth and the church that was part of that city, this church that was emerging and developing and trying to figure out what it means to live a life of faith was a pretty messy church. And that's a very generous uh, comment about it. I mean, just read about this church, and you can go into 1 Corinthians. If you're ever uh, struggling with the mess of the modern church, just read 1 Corinthians, and you'll have this kind of dark encouragement that can come from you. I mean, there was all kinds of sexual sin, heresy in their teaching, battles about leaders. I mean, you name it. And when Paul talks about conflict from every direction and battles on the outside, he's not talking about outside the church, he's talking about outside his own person, and he's talking about actually what's going on within the church, and, and so he's saying, here's what is we are facing inside the church, trying to figure out how to live out a life of faith in the community, and he makes reference to Macedonia, and it's, this is the region just north of Corinth, And uh, it included many church plants that Paul was a part of as well. And you can read about those, the church plant in Philippi and in Thessalonica. And we have books that have those names as he wrote letters to those churches as well. So Paul is involved in this church planting of all kinds of different churches that he's engaging with as he's helping these people to understand what it means to be a community of faith. And he's pointing really honestly to what's going on around him. And he's also trying to be really honest about what's going on inside of him. He's describing the condition of his own soul in the midst of this. And how people even around him, including him, were filled with fear at times. And you know, I think it's important for us, and it's one thing to pay attention to what's going on around us and what's swirling around us. But paying attention to what's going on inside of us, uh, I think, is even more important. as it points to the condition of our own souls, which in turn affects the interactions that we're having with others. And I know that we can all relate to this at different times, can't we? And likely many times, even in these last number of months and and the last couple of years. I know even for me, I've spent considerable time uh, in the last months trying to assess, even in my own life, about what's going on inside of me and how it relates to what's going on around me. And just this realization that these two are connected but the inside assessment is so important, even as Paul identifies here. In one book about the soul, John Orkbird, makes this, he has this quote, and he says, "The life of the village depends on the health of the stream, and the stream is your soul, and you are the keeper." And this truth about needing to tend to the stream of our soul. For the sake of the village. And so Paul is doing that in a very honest assessment of what's going on in the community around him and subsequently subsequently what's going on inside of him. You know, for every one of us, we have felt some of these things of tensions of community during this season of COVID. It's caused many of us to withdraw into our own individualized faith in isolation, Uh, part of it out of necessity, part of it out of our own choices. And then if we draw around us a few select people to be our community, but ones that think like us or ones that are maybe part of our own echo chamber or maybe, as Paul says in another text where he says about how we surround ourselves with people who, you know, help us to hear what our itching ears want to hear. It can lead to our hearts getting hardened. We can get even more isolated and encounter more conflict and start to undermine and destroy community. And yet here we see it changes by the presence of one man who was transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and his name was Titus. So early in this letter, Paul, he was talking about what transformation looks like. And so much of this letter is speaking about that reality of transformed people in process following Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5, he says, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is is gone and the new life has begun. And so Titus was one who had been transformed in this way. Titus was one who was changed and being changed in this way. And it started to change everything, even for a leader like Paul. Just having the presence of Titus come into all that Paul was experiencing, all that he was seeing around him. And the encouragement for me in this is that anybody can do this, just like Titus. It just takes intentionality and allowing the fullness of the Spirit to work within you. And it creates a kind of community that we want to be a part of, and a kind of community that we want to invite others into as well. And we see that the most important gifts of the Spirit are actually the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5 where Paul talks about it. About love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And we see that as we look at this text and even in the text that precedes it. Paul says, but God who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was a joy. One of the gifts of the Spirit that that Paul talks about. And so what's it like to be on the other side of Titus? Well, Paul's pretty clear about that. His presence was a joy. And I wonder how many people have said that after you've left their house, after staying maybe a few days, right? Right? I mean, I think for every one of us, there's a usually a best before date on how long we stay with people. And I don't know how long Titus stayed in this region or with Paul, but after he left, it was like his presence was a joy, and it greatly encouraged Paul. But you know, Paul and his other traveling companions, they too were being transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. And they were being transformed in the midst of incredibly hard things. And so the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit is just seen throughout these passages surrounding our primary text today. If you just look at the preceding chapter in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, let me just pull out a few things from that chapter. You see the hardships and the conflicts and the challenges that Paul went through, and oftentimes we focus on those things. But what really struck me as I was looking at this text again is is not so much the hardships, but how it is that Paul lived in the midst of those. Paul and his companions, how is it that they responded in the midst of the difficulties? And even in, in chapter one of this letter, he, he ar- identifies and he articulates the challenges right at the outset, and it's kind of throughout this letter. He says, we think you ought to know now, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we'd never lived through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. So he's pointing this resurrection hope. And then if you look in 2 Corinthians 6, preceding our primary text today, he, he says it this way. We live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us. So he's talking about how, how now we are actually living in the midst of hardships. And no one will find fault with our ministry. and everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. Then he goes on to list even more hardships. He says, we have been beaten, put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. It's a pretty stark picture. And then he goes right to their response again. Notice the response. We prove ourselves by our purity By our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. And I love that passage where it just shows the reality of the fruit of the Spirit in Paul's life and in his companion's life. It's this transformed life in Jesus despite whatever circumstances they faced. All kinds of hardships, unimaginable challenges. Then he goes on and he shares more painful hardships if you keep reading in chapter 6. And then again, his response in verse 10. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. So again, these leaders were modeling the love of Jesus through patience, kindness, truth, God's power, extravagant love. And joy that defied their circumstances. John Piper says, Love is the overflow of joy in God that meets the needs of others. Love is the overflow of joy in God that meets the needs of others. So, what kind of community are you creating? What's it like to be on the other side of you? What's it like to be on the other side of me? But you know, there's one more thing I don't want us to miss about this messy, unique, transforming community. And that's the role of repentance. I alluded to it earlier, and it comes at the end of our text today, where Paul has rebuked these people and called them to repentance for their sin, and they do. They respond in an incredible way. They could have gotten bitter. They could have associated Titus with Paul's harsh kind of rebuke to them. They could have taken it out on Titus or given him the silent treatment in some way or something worse, but they didn't. Something else happened. Something that completely transforms this community and it's called repentance. The end of chapter 7 and 8 to 10, he goes on and he says, I'm not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first. For I know it was painful for you for a little while. Now I'm glad that I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. What's so remarkable about this community that Paul's writing to, this very messy, confused, conflicted community, is that instead of bitterness or defensiveness, this community allowed the Holy Spirit to convict them of their sin, which led to their repentance, which led to receiving the love of Jesus, which softened their hearts and gave them the ability to love and encourage Titus, who in turn loved and encouraged Paul and his companions. And on and on it went. A very different kind of wake. Behind them. You know, earlier in this letter, Paul, he talks about this beautiful imag- imagery. He says that our, letter, our lives are, are like living letters of Christ. And that is so true. And this text that we are looking at here today give us a picture of that. So Titus was living proof of that. Paul was living proof of, of that. And because of repentance, so too were these people that he's writing to. And the primary joy that they have is evidenced through, or actually is a reflection of repentance And forgiveness and reconciliation. And their joy comes out of that because of what Christ has done for them, and now they in turn can do for others. So, as as I said earlier, Paul's conflict and suffering and hardships, they they weren't actually from outside the community of faith. They were mostly came from within, came from the church. And yet here is this faith community figuring it out, being transformed, and Paul was celebrating. You know, our greatest witness to the world. And our ability to encourage others in community comes through our own personal transformation through God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It comes as we allow the Spirit of God to transform us. And you know what? Transformation never happens in isolation. It always happens in the context of community, messy community. It happens as we allow the Spirit of God to convict us of our sin and move us to respond in repentance. It happens as we allow the fullness of the Spirit to flow in and through us so that others can experience the fruit of the Spirit through our lives. It happens when we choose joy and we trust God regardless of our circumstances. And so for you today, whether you're here in the room or watching online, whether you're connecting with us for the very first time or maybe you're connecting again and have been part of this community for years and years and years. This invitation is for you, for each one of us. This invitation is to help create this kind of community together. And the question is simply, how will we respond? Let's pray together. So Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that you, even in the essence of who you are, God, model an incredible kind of community. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would continue to transform us. I pray, Lord, that, that people would say of each one of us, just like Paul said of Titus, his presence was a joy. And Lord, may we be joy-filled people, I pray. May we be people who understand what you have done for us in such a way that it transforms us and it helps to live out of that transform, transformation, even in the messiness of fallen community. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would receive this invitation today, that we would respond to this invitation today, and that we would help create this kind of community as we follow you together. God, change us, transform us, encourage us, strengthen us, and help us to do that for one another as well. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.